T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one... They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Play fake. Morgan in trouble. You know, it's a sign of a really good producer when they placate to the host. And while that can be frustrating as a producer, Brandon Fryer just did that, giving me the uh, giving me the fat guy touchdown. And I appreciate that. Call was Gus Johnson on Fox. This hour is brought to you by Team Hockberg. Visit their website, 56david.com. That's 56david.com. And I'm broadcasting live from the Score Hyundai Studios, brought to you by your local Hyundai dealers. You heard the highlight because, man, week one of college football is underway. Got a little bit of a taste yesterday, a little bit more tonight, even without necessarily a marquee matchup tonight. But it's time to go out to the Circa Resort and Casino Hotline. Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. Talk to my guy, Patrick Schmidt. He's the senior editor of college sports at Fansided. You follow him on Twitter at Patrick A. Schmidt. And he's almost, he's like about to hit that 5,000 mark, so... Seriously, give him a follow tonight. Let's get him up to 5,000. Pat, it's been too long, man. How are you? I'm doing well. It's good to talk to you, Rick. It has been a while, but, hey, it's football season. College football's underway. We got the NFL coming up after this weekend, so it's a great time of year and uh, plenty of great conversations to be had. So we'll start with Ohio State because we had the highlight coming in. Uh, how did C.J. Stroud look to you? Was it about what you expected for a guy in his first start and just – what did you think of how Ohio State looked overall? Yeah, first half was a little shaky, uh, which isn't to be, uh, you know, isn't totally surprising. Uh, road environment, uh, TCF Bank Stadium, it was rocking. You know, first time these Minnesota fans have been uh, in their stadium in two years. So the place was rocking. Um, and I think Minnesota will be a good team this year. I don't think they'll be necessarily great. Uh, last year was was down. I don't think they'll you know win the division like they did two years ago. But uh, PJ Fleck is a a really good coach, and he had his team ready to play. Um, certainly at a, a talent disadvantage against Ohio State, but um, you know CJ Stroud was definitely a little bit inaccurate. He missed his throws, missed his spots in that first half. Uh, they were playing without their starting center, so maybe that disrupted things a little bit early on. But He's got the, the best wide receiver tandem in college football with Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson. And when he did connect with those guys, you know, there were very, uh, you know, a number of, you know, one or two play scoring drives. So uh, when he was on, as he was in the second half, and even with a couple of big throws in the first half, 
uh, he showed the potential and showed the type of talent that uh, why he won that job at Ohio State. So, um, you know, you understand the, uh, the first game jitters, especially on the road, uh, primetime environment. Uh, but he came out to play in the second half. They, they pulled away, came away, uh, you know, overcame a, a halftime deficit. So if he could play like that for four quarters against Oregon next week, uh, Ohio State shouldn't have a problem beating the Ducks. So obviously the marquee matchup tomorrow is Georgia and Clemson. Uh, Clemson's a short favorite at the moment. How do you feel going into that game? And who are a couple players that people like myself who are much more casual on the college football side should be keeping their eyes on? Yeah, best game of the weekend. This could be one of the best games of the entire year. And we get a week one on primetime. So uh, a great way to really usher in the start of the season. Uh, so Trevor Lawrence is gone at Clemson. Travis Etienne is gone from Clemson. Um, you know, they were there for th- for three years, for Lawrence, four years, for Etienne, uh, the best running back yardage-wise in the ACC, with, and Lawrence, the number one pick. So DJ Uyunglele, he's now the guy quarterback. He had two starts last year. Um, people might remember he, he started the game against Notre Dame, but they lost in double overtime. This guy is a flat-out stud. He's probably going to be the number one pick in the draft two years from now. He's just a sophomore. Uh, but big dude, about 6'4", about 250 pounds, uh, former five-star guy out of California, number one pro-style quarterback. So he's got the, all the pedigree that Lawrence had, that Deshaun Watson had before him. So he's the next in line. I think this guy's going to be really, really, really good. He's in my top two or three uh, as far as the Heisman is concerned. So he's really phenomenal. And then Will Shipley, five-star freshman running back, he's taken over for Travis Heath out of the backfield. Don't think he's going to get the uh, the official start, but I think he's going to be heavily involved in that offense. Uh, and then Georgia, it's, it's all on JT Daniels, really. Um, he didn't start the season last year. He was coming off of a, an ACL tear he suffered at USC. Uh, he transferred from USC over to Georgia last year. Uh, started the last four or five games, I think it was, for Georgia, including that bowl game, led a, a last-minute uh, comeback win in, in a bowl game against Cincinnati. He's getting a lot of pub for the Heisman. Georgia, as always, uh, a lot of heavy expectations. Uh, but for this game, Georgia's going to be down a, a couple of starters. Uh, they're going to be without their starting tight end. They're going to be without uh, their best wide receiver, George Pickens, who had an ACL tear in the, in the spring. Uh, they're going to be down in the secondary. And that's on top of losing like six defensive backs to the NFL draft uh, this spring. So I think Georgia has a lot to, to reload and replace. And, and it's kind of funny because we say that with Clemson replacing Trevor Lawrence and ETM, but Clemson just in a better place uh, to reload. So it's going to be a close game. I hope it's a really, really good game down to the wire, but I think Clemson is going to win this one by, you know, maybe about a field goal, three or four points. Do you trust that Georgia's actually going to open up the offense at all? Because it feels like as much as anything, and maybe it's just the prism of now Justin Fields is here, but, you know, the, the conservative nature of Georgia led to Jake Fromm staying there, which Jake Fromm was a fine college quarterback, but it seemed like he really, that really capped their upside as an offense in that era by letting Justin Fields, you know, get the little bit of work that he did his freshman year, and then he goes to Ohio State and says, screw it. But uh, is Georgia actually going to open it up at all with JT Daniels? Not in the opener, I don't think. Uh, you know, like I said, they're going to be down uh, a number of talented skill position players. So I think they're going to try and run the ball with Zamir White. Um, and the stable running backs that they have, Georgia, I mean, we know they have a number of great running backs throughout the year. So 
I think they're going to try and pound it, try and pound it behind their, uh, you know, big talented offensive line and try and control the, the game and the line of scrimmage that way. Maybe eventually as the season goes on, as Georgia gets some of these guys back, you know, maybe they try and open it up a little bit, but Daniels, he's a, he's a good quarterback, but he's not going to be able, he's not going to be able to be Clemson by himself. And, you know, that's kind of what he's going to have to be asked to do on uh, on Saturday night. There's a couple ranked matchups in the Big Ten. Uh, is Penn State, Wisconsin as juicy as it looks? Uh, no, I I mean, it, you know, going from Clemson to Georgia, it's <laughs> well, a big yeah, drop off for me. <laughs> I think I think we're going to get some ugly Big, big Ten football. Uh, Penn State was pretty also awful. Also known last as year. Big Ten football. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, Penn State, they'll, they're not going to lose their first five games of the season this year like they did last year. Uh, Wisconsin, they're, they're my team to beat in the Big Ten West. Graham Mertz, as long as he's healthy, uh, this guy's going to be really, really, really good. Uh, he's a stud. You know, lit up Illinois in last year's season opener, and then he was out with COVID uh, for like three weeks. And then in the, the Big Ten shortened season, that pretty much ended the season. Uh, so I'm really curious and intrigued to see what he's going to do with a full season and a full off season under, under his belt. But uh, I think Wisconsin beats Penn state. I just don't think it's going to be a really glamorous game here. Thankfully it's in that 11 o'clock window before Alabama and Miami play in the midday. And then, um, you know, the night game with, uh, with Georgia and Clemson. So we'll get it out of the way early. I mean, you, you led me right to it. Alabama, Miami is going to be, Really fascinating. What's realistic to expect from De'Eric King with him, you know, still this recently coming off of the injury? Yeah, when healthy, this guy, he's a, he's been in college forever. I mean, he's been in college just as long as I was. He's on a, going on his sixth year now. Uh, but coming back from the ACL tear, uh, it's tough, uh, especially against this Alabama defense who had 10 players named to be uh, first or second team all-SEC team. <laughs> Uh, in the preseason. So last year where Alabama was led by their, you know, ridiculous offense with Mac Jones, Devontae Smith, Najee Harris, Jalen Waddle, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, it's the defense that's really going to carry the water for, for Alabama like they have in the past up until the last couple of years or so. But De'Ara King, he's really good, dual threat ability, all that good stuff. But he's just, you know, it's he, he can't beat Alabama. It's just not going to happen. I think he might have some some special plays here and there. But it's just not going to be enough to, to keep up with Alabama. And I'm really excited to see the quarterback on Alabama, Bryce Young, taking over. I talked about DJ Uyunglele early. These two guys were the two best quarterbacks in California. They played against each other at the, the California State playoffs, one of the best California prep playoff games. And I'm sure Illinois listeners are, are pumped to hear about that. But uh, Bryce Young, he's the next in line. He's like, you know, more talented at this point than, than Tua was at his. Uh, you know, at this stage, Jalen Hurts, Mac Jones, especially. So, you know, he's kind of in that Kyler Murray mold. You know, he's, you know, about six foot, can run like run like crazy, can throw the ball all over the field. So, you know, first time starter. So you never really kind of know what you're going to get. But I'm really excited and really curious to see what he's going to do. And certainly expectations are, are high for him and for Alabama. And, you know, I have Alabama winning this one, you know, rather easily. Is uh, boy, talk about a change going from Il- from uh, Alabama to Illinois. But uh, so Illinois played in week zero and they got a win. Uh, I guess I should hit the local angle a little bit here. Uh, how about that whole deal? And is Illinois not as bad as they've been? Well, Nebraska is as bad as they are. Okay. Uh, so it, w- it was nice for Illinois to get that win. 
Uh, I like Brett Bielema. He's obviously not going to do what he did at Wisconsin when he was in the Big Ten, you know, winning that division uh, pretty much on an annual basis. Uh, he did some good things at Arkansas for a while, but, you know, the longer he was there, it was just tough to compete uh, in the SEC West, toughest division uh, in the nation. But he had a heck of a job kind of rebuilding that program that, uh, you know, changing the culture. Uh, it took him about two or three years to do it, and then he just couldn't level up, which, you know, you hate to make excuses for the guy, but it's Arkansas. He's playing Alabama, LSU, Texas, A&M, Auburn every year. I mean, those are, those are guaranteed losses. So I think Brett Bielema, you give him a couple of years, get a couple of recruits in there, change the culture a little bit. Uh, Lovey Smith was just not getting it done. He was not a college coach, could not recruit, uh, just had no kind of updated, you know, philosophy and game plan, uh, you know, for college football. So I'm excited and curious to see what he's going to do over the next couple of years. Got to temper expectations. Illinois isn't going to win seven or eight games this year, but, you know, maybe they get to a bowl game next year. Uh, but certainly a great start in week zero uh, to really just hand Scott Frost in Nebraska a, a really tough loss. Talking with Patrick Schmidt from Fansided here for a couple more minutes. Follow him on Twitter at Patrick A. Schmidt. What's now? I know, I know you, you, you love the glamour matchups as you should, but is there, is there a non glamour matchup tomorrow that has you intrigued? It it's glamour schools, but, it's, I really wouldn't say it's a glamour matchup, kind of like, you know, the ones that we, we talked about earlier, certainly glamour matchups. But LSU and UCLA is pretty intriguing to me. LSU, completely forgettable, miserable season last year, like it was for so many people in general. Um, but they had like half their team out with COVID, half the team, and then the other half opted out, uh, you know, off the national championship season, hangover, all of that stuff. Um, they're a full year beyond that. Um, they had their starting quarterback, Miles Brennan. He had a, a, a shoulder injury in the offseason. So they're going to go with Max Johnson, son of Brad Johnson. Uh, he's a talented dude. Uh, so I'm, I'm intrigued to see what they're going to do this season. Uh, I think they're ranked like 15, 16, something like that. And some people think they're a little underrated. Uh, I don't know about underrated. Uh, it might even be a little bit overrated considering how they ended last season, but uh, they got one of the best cornerbacks, uh, Stingley Jr. You know, he might be the best cornerback uh, they've had since Patrick Peterson and, and LSU. Like they, they like to pride themselves in being DBU. So uh, he's a stud. He had a little bit of a, you know, injury situation where he, he was good, but he really wasn't quite 100% at all last year. It was still an all SEC performer, but, when healthy, this this is a guy that you know is a top three, four, five overall pick in the NFL draft. So, and then UCLA, Chip Kelly. We've been talking about him for the last couple of years. Is this going to be the year Chip Kelly gets UCLA going? Is this going to be the year? And it hasn't been the case the last couple of years. Uh, but they've got a, a three-year or a two-year returning starting quarterback, uh, DTR. He's he's got some hype and he's got some juice behind him. Um, if UCLA can beat LSU, then I think we need to take them seriously as a team in the Pac-12 South that, you know, maybe they could beat USC, maybe they could beat Utah and Arizona State and, and maybe contend for a division title and maybe they get to the uh, Pac-12 championship game against, you know, most likely Oregon. So, you know, it's not quite put up or shut up time for UCLA, but I'm really, 
you know, for a non-glamour matchup, it's kind of two big programs, you know, especially for LSU. LSU, it's a must-win for them, and UCLA, this is kind of like a, a measuring stick game for them. And I think UCLA can do it. If LSU loses this one, though, I think we're going to have to, you know, question Ed Orgeron and whether or not uh, his seat is getting a little bit hotter or not. Is there any chance this year that we get somebody different into the playoff, or are we going to have to wait for that expansion to have a prayer at that? You know, I, I, I every time people ask me that, so I'm like, you know, I'm I'm not going to tell you anything you don't know because you know, I'm going with Alabama and Clemson and Oklahoma and Ohio State to go to the playoff, and you know, I could, you know, be, you know, go out on a limb and say, hey, you know, I think Ohio State's going to break this. Uh, the, the old boys club, you know, so to speak, and, you know, get in there. And, you know, I, I love to say it, but man, I, I really don't think that's, that's going to happen. I mean, it's, uh, you know, until we expand to, to 12, which is probably going to happen, you know, maybe 2025, 2026 or so, you know, after, you know, Texas and Oklahoma join the SEC and, you know, whatever else kind of realignment we have, but, yeah, just for this four-team format, you know, we've seen Notre Dame get in there two of the, the last three years or so. Um, but, yeah, you know, Alabama's getting in every year. Ohio State's getting in every year. Uh, Clemson, they're getting in every year. And it's just kind of like, all right, well, we just assumed the Pac-12 was not getting in. So is the Big 12 going to be good enough to get a team in? And, you know, really Oklahoma's going to have to go undefeated because, you know, Georgia and Clemson, you know, whoever loses that game, if – the loser runs the table the rest of the way. I think, you know, both those teams can still get in. So, but yeah, in a four team format, it's, uh, you know, pretty much just going to be the usual suspects, you know, from here on out, because, you know, they're, they're getting the best recruiting classes every year and, you know, they have the best coaches. So it's tough to beat the teams with the best players and the best coaches. A couple score updates before I let you go. Uh, Virginia tech just beat North Carolina, 17, 10. And it looks like on the first play from scrimmage, Michigan state actually scored points against Northwestern getting a long touchdown run. So it's a six, nothing Michigan state at this point, Pat, it's good to get to talk to you again, man. I know it's been a minute, but uh, I really appreciate you taking time for me tonight. Hey, my pleasure. Anytime I'm always here and yeah, it was great to catch up and I'm excited college football's here. You know, maybe we'll have to talk again and, no wonder when uh, Matt Nagy is going to put in Justin Fields. Well, hopefully, uh, if we're having that conversation, it's before this month is over. So. <laughs> yeah, definitely. I agree. Great to talk to you, Rick. Thanks a lot. All right, that is Patrick Schmidt. You follow him on Twitter at Patrick A. Schmidt. He's the goods, man. Good dude, really good college football mind. Follow him on Twitter at Patrick A. Schmidt. I know he's really close to 5,000, so if we could get him there tonight, I would greatly appreciate that. When we come back, going to get back to the Bears before talking with Mike Sando at 940 and wrapping up the show that way because, listen, there's still there's still meat on that Bears bone right now because there's a lot of things going on, and if there's meat in front of me, I'm going to eat it. So that's just what we're going to do when we come back. I'm Rick Camp here with you till the top of the hour on The Score. The bottom of the hour is brought to you by DuckDuckGo. I'm Rick Camp. I'm with you until the top of the hour at 8:40. Talk with Mike Sando from the uh, from the Athletic and the Football GM podcast about his article that he wrote, talking with five NFL executives and having them rank the AFC and the NFC. And in the NFC, the Bears, 14th out of 16. 
been getting your reaction to that and want to continue doing that at 312-644-6767. Good to get to talk with Pat Schmidt from Fansided, too, about college football being big. And, like, this is one of the weekends where I'm actually really excited for it because, hey, there's no NFL yet, and it's, it's fun to get to see the beginning and just get your initial thoughts and get some initial data points on all of these teams. But getting back to the Bears, it's like, it's like, okay, that's cool, and that's optimistic. And then there's the Bears, who, for a point of reference, their Vegas win total pretty much across the board is 7.5, with the under being juiced pretty decently. So basically, Vegas saying, around a 7-win team, 7-10, 8-9. It's still weird to get used to, like, the 17 games instead of 16 games. That's going to... It's just going to take a hot minute. few texts that I didn't get to from earlier, 312-644-6767. From the 847, the ranking is fair. O-line on offense is a huge question mark against the statue in Dalton, with Nagy still unproven in play calling, and the DBs are another huge liability. I think that kind of touches on all your main issues. Obviously, the offensive line has been talked about a ton to this point. And for just for another kind of point to that, Brandon Thorne that I mentioned earlier from Establish the Run, that's kind of one of the authorities on offensive line play and, well, just line play, offensive line, defensive line. Uh, He has preseason. So before knowing about the Tevin Jenkins injury, after Charles Leno had been cut, so like really at the very beginning of training camp, had the Bears 31st out of 32 offensive lines in the NFL before any of the injuries and anything else that happened. And when you look at what happened in the preseason, and especially considering now you have 39-year-old Jason Peters at left tackle, it's probably going to be rough. Because while Jason Peters, if you look at his game logs, or I should say just look at number of games started, games played, plays a lot of games, but it's a matter of him finishing games. Like working on You Better You Bet on BetQL, which you can listen to on the Odyssey app, Twitch, YouTube, all those avenues. Uh, I work with a couple guys that are in Philly. And just these last couple years, because like Jason Peters is a borderline first ballot Hall of Famer. He's a definite Hall of Famer. It's just a matter of whether it's first ballot or not which is a whole nother thing that that's kind of a dumb designation, but that's a whole nother conversation for a different day. Just the fact that Jason Peters last year, when he was actually on the, when he was active, played 44% of the Eagle snaps. So he would come in, maybe get hurt, miss a series or two, try and come back in. To his credit, always trying to get back out there, but man, when you're 39 years old, a guy in that big of, of that big of a dude who in his prime was one of the most athletic offensive linemen you will ever see. When that body starts to break down, you get a little older, relying on that athleticism can lead to injury. So he's got to rely much more on technique and form now, which he still can do. But to bank on that guy being there for you for more than a, a more than a fill-in spot here and there is asking a whole lot. And with Jenkins seemingly not going to play this year, or maybe very little at the end of the year, this is uh that's a huge question mark to have 
outside of the fact of Jermaine Effetti was a proven failure to right, as a right tackle for most of his career. The Bears initially signed him to play guard. And then you have Sam Mustafer at center, who, to his credit, played decent when he was in there. But what was the bar for the Bears' offensive line last year? Wasn't that great? And you brought in no competition for him. James Daniels is at right guard. As in that clip earlier, Robert Mays mentioned he's learning another new position. Came in thinking he was going to be a center, then playing left guard, then moving to right guard. And for some dudes, like think about your handedness. Going from one side to the other can be a bit of a difficult thing. And that's not necessarily an indictment of whoever the player is. And I'm not even necessarily saying that is what's happening with James Daniels, just that going from side to side changes not only what you're doing with your hands, but your footwork. So to have all that volatility on the Bears' offensive line is huge. And then, as is mentioned in that Mike Sando article, who's making big plays for the Bears this year? Because it was known part of the reason David Montgomery was available when he was, yes, the contact balance is there. He'll get you yards after contact. However, thing is, it's not really going to break the big run for you. He doesn't have that extra gear. That's what Tariq Cohen was for. Well, Tariq Cohen, the Bears won't say whether he had another surgery or not, but it sure seems like that is the case. Obviously, can't say definitively, but it seems like something else happened which has prolonged his recovery time. So Tariq Cohen is not there. You have Allen Robinson, who's a stud, but couldn't be bothered to sign him to an extension. So now you only have one year left of him. Then we mentioned Darnell Mooney before of, boy, he's a lot on that guy's shoulders. As a second-year guy, fifth-round pick, he has to be dynamic for the Bears to have a decent offense. He absolutely has to be. And then Cole Komet. Cole Komet has to take a big step, which tight ends normally don't have good rookie years. Just on the whole, because there's so much to learn in terms of all the route running, everything along those lines, but also in terms of the blocking. So I'm not necessarily discouraged about what Cole Komet is. I'm just saying they're relying on him to be a big part of this offense. And for the Bears to be successful, considering how tough their schedule is, that's absolutely something that matters. This is also from the Mike Sando article. When in terms of not just the reg, just the schedule overall, but in terms of quarterbacks played, the Bears play the NFL's toughest schedule of opposing quarterbacks when using 2021 quarterback tier results as a guide. They play four games against tier one quarterbacks, tied for most in the league, and they're the only team in the league that plays no tier four quarterbacks, which is your lowest tier starters. So when you're throwing Andy Dalton out there, you're not going to be winning the quarterback matchup very often, at least on paper. And when you consider all those question marks we mentioned, not even mentioning what was also mentioned in that athletic football show cut from before, of who's gotten better offensively with the Bears? Skill position player, offensive line. Has Cody Whitehair gotten a lot better? He's had some injury issues too, which has maybe stunted some of the development or stunted us being able to see some of the progress he's made. But the Bears go into the season with questionable quarterback play because even when Justin Fields gets in there, 
I doubt he's I doubt he's going to be fantastic tier one dude from jump, and that's okay. He's going to learn. He's going to make his mistakes. And the worst or second worst offensive line in the league. So that puts even more on your questionable play caller to be able to scheme it up for either Andy Dalton or Justin Fields in terms of how to make this offense work with this makeshift offensive line. And the fact that the Bears just have not really invested a ton into the offensive line. On over the cap, looking at the positional spending, there are only three teams that have spent less money on the offensive line, and they are three teams that also have big-time O-line issues. The Pittsburgh Steelers, the Miami Dolphins, and the Minnesota Vikings. So when you look at where the Bears have decided to kind of cut their spending, those are, I mean, logic would dictate their biggest weaknesses right now. Because then you look at quarter at cornerback, the Bears are spending the least amount of money on the corner position right now in the NFL. And outside of Jalen Johnson, who's a second-year dude who's on a good contract, you know, rookie deal, whatever, he had one solid year as a number two corner, and now you thrust him into being the dude. And it's Artie Burns and Kendall Vildor and Desmond Trufant on the outside and Duke Shelley on the inside maybe. I like some of Duke Shelley's physicality, but I don't know if he's going to be able to keep up. And you think Sean McVay in week one is not going to be like, you know what? These corners look look very questionable. Cooper Cup, Robert Woods, have some fun. You don't think that's going to happen? So there's a whole lot on this coaching staff to try and make up for some of the deficiencies and talent that the Bears have that have been presented by their GM. And then you look at the Bears on the edge where the Bears are top four in spending. But the production has been questionable, obviously, outside of Khalil Mack. Khalil Mack hasn't even honestly had as good a production as you probably would have hoped when he was traded for. There's just so many questions around this team that's getting older, and that's expensive. So you have that light, that beam of light in Justin Fields, but everything around it is so questionable, you hope it doesn't turn into a Houston-Deshaun Watson type of situation outside of the -the off-the-field stuff. Deshaun Watson, leaving that firmly on the side, not saying that for anybody, whatever, but just the on the field aspect of it, where it's your quarterback and nothing around him and an incompetent organization. 312 644 67 is the number. Send some texts in, but when we come back, going to wrap up tonight with Mike Sando from The Athletic and Football GM Podcast. He's a fantastic follow on Twitter. At Mike Sando NFL, talk with him next about that article and his thoughts on the Bears and the NFL coming up next on The Score. No, I wouldn't say leap of faith, but I think there's, for us, it's going to be very important that the next couple of weeks here, uh, as we start getting into scheme and what we want to do, that they understand where we're at. I, I feel good about that part. The other part of it, too, is just, again, with like a Fetty and Jason Peters on the edges, them working the calls and the signals with, uh, with the guards. And in conditioning-wise, too, where they were. I mean, JP said he felt good. Um, and, you know, Afedi told me, you know, I know he was upset about getting beat on the edge there. So he, first thing he said to me on the plane is he's going to fix that. So those guys care. It's a good nucleus of guys. We got depth behind them. So, we, we you know, again, we got to have a good two weeks here before we get going. That's Bears head coach Matt Nagy and 
Yeah, I think Maple Faith is probably right for just hoping the Bears' offensive line to get to even, I don't, I don't even want to say average, but like maybe if you were to rank everybody in like 20-ish, that, that would be a huge win considering the personnel it seems like the Bears have on their offensive line. I'm Rick Camp here with you till the top of the hour. It's time to go back out to the Circa Resort and Casino Hotline, Circa Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. Really excited to get to talk to Mike Sando at Sando NFL on Twitter. Writes about the NFL for the Athletic, the Football GM podcast. And what we've been talking about a lot of the show is just an interesting way to look at the Bears is five executives giving their thoughts on ranking the NFC and the Bears are pretty far down there. Mike, I appreciate you taking time for me. Hey, yeah, happy to be here. I mean, I hate to be the bearer of bad news. I was kind of surprised <laughs> they were that low. You know, really, I just I hadn't thought of it, I guess, in the full context, you know. And, and uh, geez, they came in 14th out of 16. Doesn't that seem a little low? Yeah, I was surprised by it, too. But then I look at how how the teams ended up. And maybe if you want to put them in, like I thought looking at, Philly, Carolina, Atlanta, and Chicago. So yeah. 11 through 14, I could see people saying maybe the Bears or probably the Falcons have like the lowest, like just the where they are in their arc. Like Carolina's on the way up. Philly, in theory, could be on the way up, depending on how Jalen Hurts is. Yeah. The Falcons are kind of in cap hell, and the Bears are kind of there too. So, But seeing them yeah. that low, it, I guess, is a little bit surprising. Like you said, when you put it in the full context, it makes a little more sense, I guess. You know, it was jarring to me, kind of. I was like, whoa, wait, wasn't this team 8-8 eight and eight in the playoffs last year? And then they, you know, everyone was dissatisfied with Mitch Trubisky, and they, we had all that excitement on draft day. Shouldn't we be feeling better about this thing, you know? And then you kind of you kind of go, you kind of look at it more closely, like you were saying in the lead-in, you know, God, we would just pray to even have a slightly almost average offensive line. And, you know, you can't, no one's going to be that excited about Andy Dalton going in. We're, we don't know, you know, if there's a transition, how long before Justin Fields looks good. You know, there's not real full confidence in the, in the coaching right now at the, after this, at this stage. And, and the defense probably has peaked, you know, it's probably not going to be as good as it was. It's probably not going to be as good in the future as it's been the last couple of years, you know, as configured. So you put those things together, and I'm sort of with you. There's probably a, a bucket of teams in there, right? I mean, if, if you look at this thing, I think there's four kind of like Tampa, Green Bay, Rams, and Seattle are maybe the sort of the Super Bowl contenders, you know, and then you've got this bucket of 49ers who might be if they're healthy. Then you kind of get into no man's land of the Saints and Dallas, Minnesota, Arizona. Washington, where they're not great, but they could be 500, you know? And then we sort of get into that group you talked about where maybe it's lucky if they're 500, I guess, you know? Yeah, that middle that middle group just below the Super Bowl contenders that, that you mentioned, they're all fascinating because it's either the quarterback or the coach for each one of those that everybody's like, yeah, okay. So yeah. obviously San Francisco, it's the Jimmy Garoppolo, Trey Lance, how they balance that. New Orleans, it's, it's like, oh, we're trusting Jameis Winston to be this yeah. high. And then it's, okay, Mike McCarthy, Kirk Cousins, Cliff Kingsbury, and, you know, yeah. and Ryan Fitzpatrick. It's the NFC is so fascinating because I can't tell if it's super deep or super mid. I really can't tell what that's it is. A really, you know, that's an interesting way you looked at it, though, that either the head coach or quarterback situation is, will, will be perceived as flawed on those. 
And then maybe maybe towards the bottom, you don't feel great about either, you know. And we, we may feel great about Justin Fields eventually, but he, it's really hard to feel great about him when he's not playing. And then, you know, r- right away, we don't know if he's, you know, we don't know if he's Justin Herbert or Tua in the first year, right? We don't, we don't know that. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, um, we've, we've seen a lot of the – we saw the flashes, obviously, in the preseason. Like, all the signs you could, t- in theory, take away from the preseason seem positive. However, you know, it's the preseason, yeah. the game planning, starters yeah. playing minimally. Yeah. He didn't even get to play with the starters. How Even with the status of the offensive line, because I played a couple cuts earlier from the athletic football show earlier in the week when Robert and Nate did the NFC North preview and talking about the Bears of just – how critical is it for a quarterback like Fields to get some time, even with this, if you have an offensive line as it is, if nothing else, working with the starting center, Sam Mustafer, yeah. where both of those guys are still pretty green at this point and yeah. trying to pick up everything? Yeah, well, the new way teams do it now is that all the quality reps are coming in joint practices where it's highly, uh, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I, 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 was at a, I was at a Bears preseason game, the Fields debut, but I wasn't in camp, so... But but usually usually what the teams are doing now is not playing as many guys in the preseason, and then in those joint practices they script it up exactly how they want it with the matchups they want, schemes they want, and so that's really where the good work is happening. And guess what? We don't. That's not on TV. You know what I mean? The whole league isn't seeing that. So um, I think that's a little bit of a X factor too with these teams this summer being harder to evaluate. Was there anything, obviously you did this for the AFC as well. Was there anything that really stuck out to you on the AFC side of this? Yeah. Let me just pull it up right here. I got it. I got the AFC. Um, Okay. In the AFC, I think New England having as high as three, as low as 10. Okay. That, that shows that that's a big range. Tennessee got a two and a 10. So there's teams in there. The Chargers got a four and 11 and an 11, you know? So there's kind of a middle class of teams in there. Pittsburgh's another one where you're like, is it going to be the real Ben? Is it going to be good Ben? Because they got a four from the best and an 11 from the worst. So there's kind of a middle class there of Indy, Chargers, Tennessee, New England, Pittsburgh, you know, and then maybe it bleeds off a little bit with Denver next and Miami. But they're teams that you could really, like you wouldn't be that surprised if they were – you know, eleven and six or seven and nine, seven and ten. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they could really go either way with some key variables of like, okay, is Ryan Tannehill going to fall off without Arthur Smith? You know, is is Mac Jones ready? Uh, being young because they got a good defense there. Uh, is Roethlisberger done? You know, um, how good will Carson Wentz be in a different setting? You know, in any those types of teams. I think one or two of those are going to be right up near the top. It's just hard to know which one. I think that a couple teams that feel like they've gotten a lot of the buzz this offseason are the Chargers and then the Dolphins. And maybe that's just in the realm that I see. But obviously the Chargers with bringing in Brandon Staley. And does he does the coaching staff have to be really good for them to hit some of their upper tier? Or is it just that kind of Anthony Lynn kind of had them down in the doldrums a little bit in terms of the coaching aspect of it. And they just have to be competent for the chargers to have an opportunity to really make some noise. I think it's the latter for them to have a good enough record to be in playoff contention. You know, they they really did. They were, they were 
terrible last year in elements of special teams and and then there's some of the game management stuff too you know so just getting average in those two areas um, really shouldn't be that hard. Now, their staff isn't exactly a bunch of guys with five decades in the league either, which can be good, and you're going to have fresh ideas and stuff, but they don't have, I don't think, as much experience managing the games and all of that. So, you know, they may not just be suddenly great um, in the areas they were weak in last year, but um, I think I think they're, they could be closer to Kansas City in the end than than you might expect just sort of from afar. I think they're intriguing and health has been a key variable for them too. Does Derwin James play all the games? Cause if he does totally different defense. Oh yeah. God, he is so good. Like he was a guy that I forget what the context of the, of that draft was for the bears, but that was a guy where I was like, everything else be damned. I just would love to see him in a bears uniform some ways so by yeah. hook or by crook. He's just so fun to watch. Speaking with Mike Sando here, follow him on Twitter at Sando NFL, writing for the Athletic Football GM podcast as well. Uh, with the, Another thing about the Chargers that I find interesting is I can't think of the last time a defensive head coach hire has been praised as much as this one, considering the context of how everything is so offensive-centric and just the thought of, if you, in theory, if you have the really, really good offense, and your head coach is not the offensive guy, it's a decent chance your coach gets plucked. So do you find it interesting that there's so much positive buzz around Staley? And is it fair to kind of, you know, question that or just wonder if their offense is so good, could Lombardi get a head coaching gig? And then you're kind of back to maybe not square one, but close to it. Yeah. You know, I mean, I don't know if Lombardi, I I think Lombardi would take a couple years uh, of that probably because remember he has to sort of overcome the narrative around him in Detroit for a couple of bad years. True. You know, is it Sean Payton? Is it, you know, all of that. So if Herbert just comes and does what he did last year, I don't know that they're going to give the, from afar, give the offensive staff a ton of credit because he did it last year too. Herbert seems to me to be getting a lot of the, the praise and wow, this guy's unbelievable. So we'll see if there's any um, regression there. I mean, I think for all of these quarterbacks, you know, they didn't have any fans in the stands on the road. So, you know, if you look at the leaders in the league last year for third and seven to 10 on the road, I mean, Herbert was number one. I mean, just lit it up. So, you know, maybe, maybe he's great, but it just doesn't come quite that easily. Um, the Staley gets a lot of positive pub, I think, because I think a lot of people in media um, love the way that he talks about the game and kind of a, a new way of thinking of hey just defend the pass don't worry about the run and that's that's really you know gained a lot of ground that type of philosophy in analytics and the media loves it and staley had great success last year with with the rams with really good defensive personnel some good ideas we'll see if it carries over i think it's fair totally fair to question though because of the inexperience of the staff uh, you know, people now have a whole year to look at Justin Herbert, which, by the way, last year they didn't even think he was going to play until the Chargers didn't even think he was going to play um, until the opener. So, you know, I, I think that's why you see on the Chargers they got votes. Range, here's their votes, 4, 6, 6, 10, 11. You know, I think there's a wide range of outcomes for them. Mike, it's a pleasure to get to talk to you. I always make sure to read your stuff, listen to the Football GM podcast, and that's not just me putting it out there because you're on with me now. Like, really, really enjoy your work, and thank you so much for taking time for me tonight. 
Hey, you know, I really appreciate it. Randy Mueller and I have recorded our latest one today. It'll be up tomorrow. It's actually part of the athletic football show now. You mentioned Rob Mays and the great job those guys do. So you can find Randy and I there every Saturday during the season. Perfect. Thanks so much, Mike. Thank you. That's Mike Sando. Follow him on Twitter at Sando NFL. Seriously, like really, really good content. I highly recommend the athletic football show. Like Mike just mentioned, they kind of like reshuffled what happens on what days. So it's a must listen throughout the football season. You'll it's entertaining and you'll get a lot smarter about football, which, hey, I know I need that. So I listen all the time. Really good stuff. Thanks so much to everybody for listening. It's Friday night. There's a lot of things you could have been doing, but listening uh, to me tonight, I greatly appreciate that. Thank you to Mike Sando. Thank you to Pat Schmidt for coming on. Thank you to Brandon Fryer on the other side of the glass, making me sound better than I am. You know, not only Chris Tannehill can do that. He does it better than all of us on the production side, but Brandon does a damn good job. So thank you to Brandon as well. Thank you for listening. I'm Rick Camp, and this is The Score. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. vehicle's engine with a full synthetic oil change and save with Mobile One at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Purchase five quarts of Mobile One full synthetic motor oil and receive a $10 O'Reilly gift card after rebate. See store for details. With your Mobile One purchase, you'll also receive two times points during Old Rewards Bonus Points Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.